welcome to another episode of A Sacred Cinema here on 2XX 98.3 FM. I'm your host for the next half an hour, Jimmy Bernasconi, here on People Powered Radio. This week's episode is entitled Raising Hell, Raising Heaven. That's right. Uh, this episode is entitled Raising Hell, Raising Heaven. And no, unfortunately, we'll not be discussing the Kate Hudson film Raising Helen, um, even though that would have been very apt. And it's a fantastic film. Um, but no, we, 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 I saw a film recently. Uh, you may have seen it yourself. Maybe you haven't. It's called Armageddon Time. It's the new film from James Gray. And uh, look, if you haven't seen it, there may be a couple of spoils. I'm going to try and keep the spoils away from you uh, if you haven't seen it. But I do um, I, I do recommend you go and say I really enjoyed the film. Um, and it, it just made me think of that old um, adage, that old adage, um, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I've been meaning to do an episode on that, on that, um, on that on that phrase for a very long time. I think it's a really apt one for today. Uh, I think it's a really interesting concept to think that someone might go and do something terrible, even though they think that they're doing the right thing. And I think from the other angle, it's interesting as well when we look back on history and look at the terrible things that have happened. To remember that a lot of the people that did those things actually thought that they were the right thing to do. They, even though it's hard to, for us to believe that from our current modern context, they weren't just power-hungry psychopaths all the time. Sometimes these people actually thought at the time they had good intentions. They just misunderstood this extremely complicated universe that none of us can truly understand. Um, but there's a lot to get through this week, and I think the films sort of speak for themselves. Um, so in fleshing out that phrase, I want to sort of, you know, I, I want to sort of make it a bit more than just a motherhood statement. I really want to get into the nitty gritty of it and, and sort of start questioning, well, you know, where is that path? How is it paved with good intentions? And rather than, you know, walking a path to hell, can we walk a path to heaven? Um, you know, I suppose in a metaphorical sense. So the films we're going to talk about this week, the first one is, of course, is going to be um, Clive Barker's 1987 film Hellraiser. We're then going to move on to Armageddon Time, the new James Gray film from this year. Um, and then we're going to finish off, of course, well, not of course, but if we're talking about Raising Heaven, uh, we're going to talk about Ridley Scott's 2000 um, epic from the year 2000. uh, That would be Gladiator. So let's kick it off now, though, with the 1987 film from Clive Barker, Hellraiser. So uh, if you don't know much about this one, uh, it's kind of a convoluted plot. And I know there's like like books and stuff that it's like based around. And look, I'm going to sort of break it out of sort of three points. There's this guy, Frank, um, he gets this random box from this random merchant in the middle of a desert or something somewhere, like some marketplace in the middle of nowhere. And the guy says to him, you know, what's your pleasure, sir? And the guy, he buys the box. It's all in the very first, like, couple of frames of the film. Then he does something to the box and then basically gets, like, ripped, <laughs> gets, like, ripped to shreds by these, like, hooks. And then for the rest of the film, he's, like, this skeleton man. And he, like, he, his, his brother cuts his hand on something in their house, the blood drips on him and he starts to become rejuvenated. And basically the plot of the film kind of centers around his his brother's wife, who's also his ex-lover. Is it kind of like um like Little Shop of Horror style, feeding him blood and bodies and stuff? 
uh, so he, that he can grow up big and strong again. Um, so look, there's a lot going on in this film. I want to, and there's so much like, and I haven't even t- touched on Pinhead, who was like the, the poster boy of this film, and he, he's definitely going to come into our conversation. But I, I, I mean, there's so many interesting um, bits of imagery, and it's, it's a really interesting film to talk about, like in the context of like a show like this, where we're trying to, you know, peel away like interesting insights that, you know, and metaphor, and, you know, the, the power of metaphor in film and, 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 and profound imagery and stuff like that. So I, I want to try and limit the conversation to a couple of main themes in the film. The first one I want to talk about is this sort of fine line between, I, I guess what you just in a simplistic sense call the fine line between good and good and bad or good and evil or um, po- like positivity and negativity or, or benevolence and malevolence. Um, and, and there's sort of like a lot of sort of, um, we, we actually did an episode many, many months ago called Divergent Roads. And I think this film would have worked very, um, it would have been really apt for that episode. It's sort of like how things can kind of turn on a dime. The quality of something, whether it's got a positive or a negative charge, um, morally or philosophically or what, what have you, can kind of do, like, can kind of turn, dare I say, on a pin's head, right? And, and we so we, we get this is quite a motif throughout this film. So in you know, the, the the obvious um, reference to this is um, when Frank is sort of recounting this box and the power of the box. The the line he says is that when he when he accesses the box, um, he was trying to ex- access the the doors to the pleasures of heaven or hell, right? Um, as if they're somewhat synonymous in a way or, or, or tightly in line next to each other. The other interesting bit of dialogue comes from um, Pinhead himself, actually. Um, one of the characters of the, who eventually becomes the, the protagonist, this girl, Kirsty. Um, I'm not going to explain her role if you haven't seen the film, but basically she asks Pinhead who he is when she's confronted by him. And he says, because um, there's a group of them, and he says, we are explorers um, in the further regions of experience. And then this is the key phrase, demons to some angels to others and that's particularly interesting when you think about what these demon people do um so basically when you do touch this box when you access this box when when frank does that basically you 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 get like pulled apart by like hooks and disgusting um like tools and it's it's, the the, the film actually is extremely graphic and gory and in fact it was kind of held back it was kind of restrained a little bit um by the the relevant regulatory authorities because it was a bit full on. It's got a very uh, Event Horizon vibe to it, actually. It's also got a very um, David Cronenberg vibe to it as well. Um, you know, it, it's it's it is definitely we we talk about Cronenberg's film Crash and the idea of like the intensity of experience and this constantly sort of inflating value of experience and pleasure. And so when I said before we're going to get into the the question of sadomasochism, this is kind of like sadomasochism the movie, right? So it's very much floating or wading in this this place of you know when you have exhausted all of the ordinary. Pl- pleasures of life, uh, particularly in the sexual realm, um, it, it's sort of weird, but also not weird, that people do tend to find themselves getting, yeah, I don't mean to kink shame, I should say that, um, but people do interestingly find themselves, you know, s- sexual pleasure is all about, you know, that very, you know, pleasure, it's about having a nice time, about enjoying yourself, feeling almost like an intense form of relaxation in a way, but interestingly, or ironically, the more that we do that, the, the closer we get to this kind of um, this interest or this fetish for pain, which you, which is otherwise considered to be at the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? It's interesting that these these two ends of the spectrum sort of hook around and kind of find each other when pushed to the limits, right? They, they are diametrically opposed, objectively speaking, 
everything. But for some reason, when you pursue one um, to the to the largest extent possible, you you end up at the other end. It's kind of like a wormhole kind of vibe. So that's definitely what this this film is sort of contemplating. This idea of like, well, what what is that? You know, and sort of just playing with that, exploring that idea. But there's a little bit more to it, at least, that I, I want to talk about. When we talk about this idea of these 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 weird bedemon people being either demons or angels, uh, and they're saying, you know, we're angels for some, we're demons for others, and, and, and Frank says this thing about, oh, you know, I was trying to open the doors to either pleasure or um, to the pleasures of heaven or hell. Um, the film is called Hellraiser, right? So it's not as, like, it's kind of a confusing film in a way, because you're like, these guys are clearly demons, but they're kind of referring to themselves as angels or, or, you know, agents of heaven or something like that. The film is called Hellraiser, and when we think about a sort of convention view of hell what frank goes through and what the characters who access this box go through is pretty hellish like it's like they get ripped up and torn apart and i mean frank literally becomes like a like a corpse like you wouldn't call that heaven at least in a traditional sense so if we're sorry we're sort of orienting ourselves in thinking this is actually hell um i I sort of want to talk about how the film sort of depicts the concept of pleasure as a gateway to hell. So we've talked about the idea of pleasure, sort of too much pleasure or inflating pleasure or pursuing pleasure to an intense degree leads to pain. I suppose a word that's synonymous with eternal pain is hell. So this idea of pleasure as a gateway to hell. So let's sit in this concept of pleasure for for the, for, the, for, for now. Um, as I mentioned before, at the beginning of the film and then at, other, at another part in the film, um, this weird kind of merchanty guy, <laughs> he's kind of like, what is your pleasure, sir? And then he gives him the box so as to imply that this box is the gateway to pleasure. But then, as I've mentioned many times already today, that the box actually leads to a sort of state of intense pain. I suppose we have to sort of ask our question. When he asks further questions, when he asks that question, we're sort of asking ourselves sort of like, what 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 kind of pleasure? Or what do you mean by pleasure? Is it a certain kind of pleasure? Like if I eat a nice chocolate bar, that's not hellish. That's a certain kind of pleasure. But um, I suppose there's a cost to it, right? Um, if I go and sort of um, go to the movies, which I really enjoy doing, that means I'm kind of not doing something else. And we sort of get into this this idea of pleasure itself, or maybe a species of pleasure. I'm not quite sure. Dear listener, maybe you could go and watch the film and, and, and give me some feedback about what you think it is. Is it a species of pleasure or pleasure in and of itself that is sort of a zero-sum game, right? This idea of that if one person is to pleasure, feel pleasure, someone else has to feel pain. And when we get into sort of the, the nitty-gritty of what ha- what's happening to Frank, where he's this corpse and he needs to be fed by other people, by other lives, it sort of seems that in order for him to become whole, in order for him to become rejuvenated, or dare I say, um, for him to be brought back from the dead, in order for him to be resurrected, that does require the sacrifice of something else. So we have this kind of reciprocal thing going on where where life for someone is death for someone else. And this is going to come up in another movie we're going to talk about, the idea of this, this reciprocity, costs and benefits in the realm of heaven and hell, costs and benefits in the realm of um, being seen as a good person or being seen as a bad person. Bad people can only be bad if good people are no longer good and perhaps vice versa. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I also just also want to talk about just and, and it follows on from what we've just said there. That the, this concept of you know pleasure being the gateway to hell. Um, this this concept of a gateway. 
Um, the film is called Hellraiser, right? So while we talk about the use of this word gateway, gateway sort of implies that there's this sort of constant existence of hell. Like hell has this sort of eternal. It's, it's, it's an it's a um, it's, it's an external location that we enter, that we go to it. The idea of it being, but the, the film is called Hellraiser, and and sort of what happens is you know hell is sort of conjured up. Hell is sort of manifested, right? It's not a place that. Um, it constantly exists, but it's something that we manifest depending on what we do in the present. So these are all some really interesting ideas that I'd really like to carry through for the rest of today's show. Um, and I'd especially, you know, given how sort of metaphorical and con- conceptual a film like Hellraiser is, I think it makes sense for us to look at about a, look at a film that sort of looks at raising hell maybe from a bit more of a realistic point of view or at least realistic realm. Um, but before we do that, just to remind you, you are listening to Sacred Cinema here on 2XX 98.3 FM. I'm your host, Jimmy Bernasconi. Uh, here on the People Powered Radio station. Um, just a reminder to stay tuned if you're listening live or jump onto our website to consider subscribing to the station or sponsoring the show or any of 2XX's wonderful programs. Uh, that would be very much appreciated. And get in contact with me, uh, Jimmy. Uh, you can contact me uh, via email. Just email contact at jimmybernasconi.com or you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'll answer any question you have, uh, um, uh, any feedback you might have, any recommendations. We love recommendations for the show. Um, that would be all very much appreciated. But let's move on now to Armageddon Time, the second film we're going to talk about. And if you haven't seen this one yet, I do urge you to go and see because I really like this one. But it basically centers on this character, Paul, who's this, this young boy. Um, and he makes a new friend on the first day of school, Johnny. And it is maybe might sound a bit weird, but it's relevant to the story that Paul is has a Jewish background and Johnny is African-American and Johnny is kind of being bullied a lot by the teacher and Paul is clearly like a fairly like, um, I suppose he's like somewhat gifted and talented, but he's got, he's a little, you know, gets distracted a little bit. He acts up a little bit, sort of seeks attention a little bit. And these two sort of like are the bad boys of the class and they sort of become friends. And, you know, Paul's mum is Anne Hathaway. So you can tell she's, she, you know, a nice lady who wants her son to be a good boy. Uh, and then she sort of realizes that he's sort of getting in trouble a lot. And she's, he, they, you know, they're, they're her, his parents um, send him to a, um, send him to a, uh, a, what do you call it, like a prep school, like a kind of like a dead poet society kind of school. Um, I should mention as well, you know, Anne Hathaway's the nice mother. Jeremy Strong plays the, the the father who's a sort of very strict and somewhat violent father as well. And in, we could do this film about sort of parenting and good and bad parenting. It's, it's a really provocative film in, in terms of so what should a parent actually do? And it is kind of relevant to, to today's conversation. But... Um, you don't really like in this prep school. Johnny wants to move down to Florida. He's kind of been kicked out of school. And in this sort of conversation around, the, you know, the, the roads to heaven or the roads to hell or raising heaven, raising hell, um, I kind of feel like this obsession with going to Florida that Johnny has, it, it reminded me a little bit of the obsession that um, uh, Ellen Burstyn's character has in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. We did that film a couple of months ago um, when we did the Weeping Wi- uh, Widows episode. And it also there's also a bit in, isn't it Free Willy? They also have that postcard. I think it's a Florida or California or something like that but that sort of like American archetypal idea of some some sort of like coastal oasis or some kind of like coastal um coastal location, some idyllic coastal location that that people in the cold and rainy parts of the states are, are trying to, you know, that that's where they're trying to get to. And once they get there, then they'll be safe and happy. So that those are kind of, that's kind of like the the bones of this this movie. But um 
in trying to help Johnny go to Florida, let's say, and I'm kind of getting pretty deep into the plot here, so maybe tune out if you are going to go see the film. Um, but let's say this. Um, Paul is very well-meaning or well-intentioned in what he does to try and help Johnny get what he desires, or at least what he claims to desire. But, you know, he's only well-intentioned in, 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 in the sense that, you know, um, or at least in relation to um, or, or, or his intentions are informed, I should say, uh, or shaped by sort of the naivety that he has as a young boy, right? Um, when you're a young child, you, you might want to do nice things for people, but I remember I tried to do like nice things for my parents and grandparents and things sometimes, but it would just be a bit like weird, like you don't really know what you're doing when you're a child. And it sort of ends up compounding and becoming something that isn't particularly helpful and doesn't really have a, a positive outcome for the, for the people that, that for, for the person in particular that Paul is trying to help. I'm trying to be cryptic there, but basically it's 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 a really good illustration of how someone can be well-intentioned, well-meaning, but too naive to see, and I'm not going to use the word ignorant, I much prefer the word naive in this context particularly, um, being too naive to see that despite being well-intentioned, you're actually hurting this person. You are doing the wrong thing. And this raises the question of, well, can Paul, a young boy, be blamed? And, you know, I'd like to say sort of absolutely not in a sense because he's a young boy. What else does he know? Uh, you know, his parents are not particularly good, particularly, you know, Jeremy Strong's character does some, inter- some questionable stuff. And we start to go, well, was it his fault? Is it, is it the parents' fault? And it reminds me a little bit of that movie, Nit Ram. Uh, the the Australian one about like sort of like where do you where do you draw the line of accountability and I suppose you could really ask that question about it in, in any in any film and we've definitely done that on this show um, but one of the most powerful things about this film and what probably sets it apart from any other kind of like moral dilemma movie um, is that you, we can't really blame the kid but we also can't really blame the parents. And we can't really blame the grandparents who, you know, obviously um, Anthony Hopkins is the star of this movie as well. I didn't mention that. He's on the poster and everything like that. And there is this sort of familial element to the film. There's, there's this sort of intergenerational thing going on. And because of what this fa- what we find out this family has been through, you know, with, you know, escaping the... the horrible things that Jewish people went through, um, the, the Cossacks and obviously World War II and everything, and, and talking about this sort of this history this family has of having to fend for themselves. And like, if they don't look out for themselves, no one else is going to. Um, we kind of do get to this place where we're like, there's sort of this this intergenerational oppression thing going on. Like, you, if you keep looking back and tra- keep trying to look for blame, all you can sort of find is like, well, these people escaped a horrible situation. The people before them escaped a horrible situation. The history of humankind is like a history of people trying to escape horrible tyranny and oppression. I mean, apart from like specific monarchs, and that's going to be relevant to the next film we talk about, apart from like specific tyrants in history, uh, and even then, you know, they can be challenged with coups and rebellions. Every person's life has sort of been characterized by some form of oppression or some form of exploitation at some some point or other. No, no matter who you are, you've, all, you've dealt with the unfairness of life at some point. And that's all well and good, but it does sort of lead us to this this situation where we, we live in a truly blameless society. And we talked about this a lot when we did the, the early episodes on male and female victimhood. We talked about the movie Rashomon. It's like everyone can interpret the world to be, you know, something that victimizes them no matter who they are. It doesn't mean you're not a victim. It just sort of means that like if everyone does that, who is picking up the burden? 
And the truth is that in all this inter- intergenerational tr- uh, uh, intergenerational oppression, it all sort of compounds and kind of stacks on the guy at the very bottom. And even though everyone can sort of say, oh, it's not really my fault, the one that's really taken on all the burden is this poor chap at the bottom who is really taking, he's sort of inheriting everyone's um, unfairness in a way. So what are we to do about that? How do we deal with the, 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 the inevitable unfairness of society? How can we avoid avoid raising hell in that sense? How can we keep people from enduring a state of hell despite our, our good intentions? Well, I think the, the a very apt film uh, that we can talk about now is um, Gladiator from Ridley Scott into the year 2000. And like how many people have talked about Gladiator? I don't really need to go into too much detail, but just I want to, so I want to keep this in the context of today's conversation because um, a, lot, a lot's been said about it. But, but basically, if you want to sort of break it down to some sort of simplistic you know, plot elements. Um, Russell Crowe's character, right, Maximus, the gladiator, um, he's sort of the archetypal hero. I mean, he does the classic hero's journey. Uh, and so he sort of is in one place and he goes away and he becomes his gladiator and he fights everybody and then he comes back to sort of solve the problems that, that banished him in the first place, i.e. Joaquin Phoenix's character who's this, this terrible Caesar who's a psychotic tyrant um and and just following on from what we said a brief moment ago it's like you know what is to be do what is to be done who is going to pick up the the inevitable unfairness of life uh, i mean maximus is sort of like the, the classic stoic character i suppose he has every right to be upset with what's happened to him it's completely unfair he was a very uh, virtuous and, and important person and you know he's a, an adherent and and sort of the the, the actual the rightful heir to uh, marcus aurelius's throne and that's no mistake obviously like if people want to talk about films about stoicism, this is the film that literally got Marcus Aurelius um, in it. So, I mean, just to put it blankly, I mean, this film sort of gives us one of, a very sort of simplistic answer to the question we just raised a second ago with Armageddon Time, which is in that sort of time of hell on earth when you feel like it's not your fault. I mean, what the Stoics taught was take it on anyway. That's the best you can do. Yes, life is unfair. Who told you it was going to be fair? You're going to have to pick up the slack. But there's another element of this film that I do want to talk about. It's probably one of the lesser spoken about elements of the film that I think is extremely relevant um, this this week is in, in this context of stoicism and and taking on sacrifices that you're not necessarily supposed to take on. I mean, Maximus is a kind of vengeful guy, but his vengeance is tragic in the sense that it does ultimately lead, lead to his own demise. So we're sort of arriving back at that place we're at before when we talk about Hellraiser, this idea of reciprocity, the idea of like sacrifice and 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 the the uh, you know um, being endowed or enjoying pleasure being this zero sum game. If you're going to get some back at someone, you you're going to have to give something up and vice versa. Um, for Joaquin Phoenix's character, we learned that if he, if he really wants to go after someone, if he really wants to achieve, if he really wants to bring down this mighty hero, it's going to endure. He's going to have to endure a massive cost as well. So we're back in this, this area of, I, I suppose, zero-sum pleasure or zero-sum prosperity. Every benefit has its cost. Everything that you enjoy has a necessary um, sacrificial element to it that's sort of, that's proportionate to it. Uh, and maybe you have to sort of be a little bit, um, uh, you know, subjective in how you interpret that. But it is kind of hard to see a situation in any of these films where someone deal, where someone is endowed with a great deal of pleasure without someone else or they themselves having to endure a great cost. And we've talked about this a lot on the show before. 
So um, that's all well and good, but I, I, I want to sort of at least get to this point. Well, we, we, are we all just meant to be in this sort of zero-sum realm? Well, you know, how about as in an individual? How can I make the right sacrifices to, to, to actually walk the paved path to heaven rather than hell? How do I not be the one that's hurting other people? How do I be the one that takes on the burden? How do I be the one that is, that is seen as virtuous? Well, I want to talk about sort of the historic nature of this particular character and story. I actually don't think this film works. It works in a modern context, of course, I mean, it's the hero's journey, but this film is powerful partly because it's sent in an ancient time. And so, you know, with the history of, of art and literature and culture, when we see a, a character like this, when we see a gladiator, we, we don't think twice about whether he's a hero. Right? We don't think twice about whether he's a good guy. I mean, you can be an annoying sort of like postmodernist blogster that's like, actually, Maximus is benefiting from uh, systemic privilege. Like, he's obviously not. Like, when we look at this from the context of ye- of centuries, centuries later, and obviously he's not a real person, but we know this stuff actually happened. We know this was a time. We know that those heroes of the past remain to be so. We know that they remain to be he- heroes, right? And so this film sort of lifts up, if you view it a certain way, the film sort of lifts up this idea of that, that the quality of a person, the quality of someone's character is sort of proved or it's sort of shaped or molded by the winds of history or by the, by the flowing waters of history. History is able to erode away sort of the rough edges and will mold out a character that we can universally believe to be a hero, right? That the, 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 the winds of time will shape the kind of person that you actually were, right? What happens now in, in the now and in, in, in this moment right now is not what's going to last. And, and it, it lifts up this really interesting quote in the, at, the, at the beginning of the film where they say, um, uh, when they're trying to you know, uh, motivate all the gladiators, they say this quote, they say, what we do in life echoes in eternity, right? And we often talk about this idea. We use another phrase to talk about that. We say, I, I want to make sure I'm on the good side of history, right? And it's this idea that that what you do now is inevitably going to have you're going to have a legacy whether you like it or not, and and, and part of your your the condition that you're in as a human being is making sure that the things that you do now, that the people that you fight against, and the people that you go up against, the people that you sacrifice for, and the people that you sacrifice are the ones that in centuries time, when you're the Maximus in the eyes of people who are living on Mars and in, and in moon buildings, they look back and they go, in the grand scheme of things, over the course of human history, that person, they were a good person. History has molded them to be a good person. Right, so we're in this space of the quality of one's existence is sort of not, not is not determined sort of in the moment by yourself. It's not determined by the actor, but by the audience, I suppose. The audience that will be viewing what you did, um, you know, from from the benefit of hindsight in centuries' time. So we sort of have this shifting perspective around how we should view ourselves. Um, and and I think it's at this point we should probably focus more on the Joaquin Phoenix character, who is ironically obsessed with being liked. So. We've talked about the last couple of minutes about the idea that you want people in the future to like you. Well, that was kind of what Joaquin Phoenix wanted. So we have this sort of ironic thing where it's almost like if the more you want people, maybe more people in the present, people in the Colosseum to cheer your name, it's kind of the less likely that history is going to smile upon you. 
So it is, it is, it is, it is actually a very complicated tension, right? We want to be viewed positively, but it's almost like in wanting to be viewed positively, you'll then be viewed negatively. You just want to be viewed positively just because um, you think that that's a good thing for you in the there and then. So I think we have to sort of focus and, and really, it really turn into this idea of, of, of the shifting perspective of who actually has the ultimate judgment on whether you were, uh, you know, someone that, that was a good person or a bad person. So if we're in this context of heaven and hell, which are these sort of these these eternal spaces, these eternal places, which I guess is a sort of an, a bit synonymous with that quote of you know what we do in life echoes in history, uh, echoes in eternity. That, that heaven is not really a place, or hell is not really a place that you go physically, but a, but 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 your your eternal identity, the version of yourself that rings through history. So in having this this view of history being this very long narrative, I, I suppose we can sort of sort of wrap everything together that we've talked about today. We say that. that there is this very fine line between um, being, I suppose, liked or respected or viewed positively in the present versus the future. And, and it's almost like that fine line between being respected in the present and the future in the, and the future is sort of proportionate to the fine line between heaven and hell. That fine line that we, that we fleshed and we talked about um, Hellraiser and to, to, another, to, to a small extent, I suppose, I'm, I'm, I'm again time. So perhaps if we want to go to heaven, Perhaps we need to think about the kinds of things that we're doing right now that will echo throughout the rest of eternity. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Sacred Cinema here on 2XX98.3 FM. I've been your host, Jimmy Bernasconi, here on People Powered Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for more quality radio programming here on 2XX. And if you're on our website, consider subscribing uh, or sponsoring the show or subscribing to the station, I should say. Uh, and get in contact with me personally. Email me at contact at or find me on Instagram, jimmy underscore Bernasconi. And we'll see you again next week.